Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. And Heavenly Father, we just want to pray very, very simply for soft hearts tonight. Hearts that are receptive. Hearts that are responsive. And we pray that you would work that in us by your Holy Spirit and by the amazing power of your word. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please sit down as you're sitting down. If you could be turning back in the the book of Hebrews uh, to chapter 3. It's page 1202. In amongst the papers you were given on the way in, you've also been given an outline. You might like to use that to follow along or to, to make notes. Let me begin with a question, and the question is this. Did you come to church this evening wearing a mask? And uh, I suspect the answer to that is actually yes. Uh, Not a physical mask, that is. I can't see anyone wearing one of those. Uh, But all of us, to a greater or lesser extent, uh, will have some sort of, I guess, some sort of picture in our minds of how we would like others to see us. Uh, It's not the real us but it's how we would like to be seen. And so we put on a mask. For example, if you can can see how I want my my wife Catherine to see me, uh, when I tell you that what I sometimes have casually dropped into conversation, and uh, this is on more than one occasion now, I've said this. Did you know, did you know that I am almost exactly the same age as Daniel Craig. (laughs) Daniel Craig? Me? Same age. Almost exactly. Isn't that remarkable? Isn't that a remarkable coincidence? And she looks at me. And she says nothing. Now, more seriously, we, uh, we put on other sorts of masks. We put on masks because we would also like to be seen as spiritually okay. How are you, someone asks. I'm good. I'm well. I'm fine. That is how we would like to be seen. The mask is covering our insecurities. Those, these masks have to be very big and thick, of course, because most especially our masks are there to hide our hearts. What we're really like inside at the, at the level of our deepest selves, at the level of our deepest commitments. We hope that the masks will keep the realities going on in our hearts well away from prying eyes. Many of us, many of us wear our masks to church. You see, even here, uh, we don't anyone to see what's really going on. We're frightened, in fact, to look ourselves terrified then at the thought of someone else seeing what's going on. But of course, we get so attached to these masks that, uh, that they become, if you like, stuck to us, fixed to us. We might even start to fool ourselves that that's, that is how we really are. Sometimes, I think, we recognize that it would be good to take them off. Uh, But now, of course, they won't budge. Well, if that is you here tonight, and it's certainly me, 
uh, then we've all come to the right place. Because I want us to be persuaded tonight that uh, what we're hearing from the book of Hebrews is able to get behind that mask. The exhortations of the book of Hebrews, perhaps more obviously than any other part of the Bible, are like spiritual scalpels. More than sharp enough to cut through the thickest mask. And I hope we're going to see that the exhortation from our passage tonight gets right behind the mask to, di- to, to address our hearts directly, imploring us today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, but make every effort to enter God's rest while it remains open. Now, I was saying last week that the writer himself describes this document as a word of exhortation. And I put the the verse where he says that on your handout. Well, this is his word of exhortation to us tonight. Today, right now, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, but make every effort to enter God's rest while it remains open. That is what he is preaching to us. If you're still not persuaded that um, Hebrews is something like a sermon, do take a look at uh, Joel Shorey preaching the whole book as a sermon. I'll put the the link to that on on your handout. It's really quite remarkable. And I'm going to finish tonight by having a go at re-preaching this part of the book in in a shorter form so that we can hopefully feel some of the impact of that. Uh, but first, before I do that, there's some explaining to do, is there not? So after all, what does it mean for us to harden our hearts? Exactly. What is this thing that the writer is called God's rest? And how can we choose to make every effort to enter it? And I want to persuade you and show you that the, the key to understanding this choice that's being laid before us in the book of Hebrews is to understand that it's a, it is in fact a choice that's always faced God's people right across history. And the writer tonight is going to pick out three points in history in particular. Firstly, under Moses, uh, after the rescue of God's people from Egypt. Uh, secondly, under David, Uh, when Psalm 95 was written, and then finally, of course, today. Those are the the three points in history that he picks out. And I'm simply going to take those three points in history in turn. And the first of those points is going to show us the wrong choice. Remember, the writer is trying to exhort us today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And he's echoing Psalm 95 there. Why? Well, first, because if you do harden your hearts, you'll end up like those in the rebellion. That is, instead of being God's house, being built by Jesus in a wonderful, new and great work, you'll be part of the household that rebelled and that were destroyed under Moses. Now, if you've got chapter 3 open in front of you, you can see that, that... Indeed, the first thing the writer does is take us back to that time under Moses. And he says to us, Jesus is indeed, yes, like Moses, but greater. You see, Moses was a servant in God's household, but Jesus is a son building that household. So things are different now. That's good news, isn't it? Things are different now. And we want them to be different because... 
they went very badly wrong under Moses. And this is the first time that the writer quotes from Psalm 95. You see it in verse 7. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert. See what that psalm is doing, Psalm 95, is taking us back to the time just after God had miraculously rescued his people from Egypt. And it's on their journey from slavery in Egypt to the promised land. And it's a story you can read in full in Numbers uh, chapters 13 and 14. And what happens in the desert is that God promises them something. He promises them if they go up into the land, he will be with them and give it all into their hands. But they've seen the size of the opposition. You see, there are blokes in the way of the land who make Olympic weightlifters look rather puny. So they hear this word, but they don't believe it. You can see it in our passage tonight, chapter 3, verse 19. The problem was unbelief. Or chapter 4, verse 2. They heard the message, but they didn't combine it with faith. They didn't believe it. God spoke, but they didn't believe him. So now I hope you're beginning to see that uh, we're beginning to see what it means to harden your heart. It means this. It means hearing the very voice of God, but not believing it. Not believing those promises. Not trusting him. And of course, we can begin to understand some of the consequences of that. That means never entering his rest. That is, it means never being with God in his place, under his blessing. Uh, What's more, we can can feel, if you like, the the horror of those consequences. It's not just a a disappointing result in the desert. It's it's a horrific result result in the desert it means death look at the end of chapter 3 verse 17 it means bodies scattered all over the place so imagine that the choice that these people uh, were facing uh, a little like this there's imagine it like a, a passageway and at the end of the passageway there are two doors and over one of them there's a message and it says this It says, the way is hard, but at the end of it, you will find the true rest of God. And then over the second door, there is no message. Now, the first people we're going to consider going down that passage are the the Israelites in the desert. Beside the door with the promise stands Moses. Strengthened by God, he pleads with the people to pursue the true rest of God. But they don't trust him. They don't believe the promise. And facing opposition just doesn't appeal to them. And so with heavy hearts, we watch them go the wrong way. Now, I suppose in some ways um, we don't have to look back quite so far in history to see tragic examples of people making that wrong choice. I suppose we could just go back uh, perhaps even a generation here at at Christchurch Forward. Uh, People some of you will have known well. 
knowing their faces, knowing them personally. But where are they now? Perhaps they left for what they thought were very good reasons at the time. But for those who now have no obvious relationship with the Lord, it seems that something much more serious, something much more tragic was going on. We talk about them as a staff team sometimes. The where are they now people. Where are they now? Trust me, you don't want to get on that list. You don't want to get on that list because it seems, it does seem very, very hard to get people off that list. And I think if, if we've got any heart at all, at all, we wouldn't want anyone we know to get on that list. But what Hebrews is telling us is that the possibility of that is so real that we must act with urgency for one another. The pressures to not believe the promises of God are bombarding us so intensely all the time, whether it's the threat of persecution or more likely for us, I guess, the deceitfulness of wealth or perhaps ungodly relationships. Those pressures to not believe are bombarding us so frequently that it's just not enough to give one another an occasional encouragement. I wonder if that struck you when we, were, we had this from the reading. Chapter 3, verse 12. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage or exhort one another daily. It's very interesting, isn't it? Daily. As long as it's called Today. So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So pay someone a visit. Pick up the phone. Send a text. Send an email. You could even handwrite a a note or a letter. If you could remember how to do those things. Let's move on from from Moses to to the next moment in history. The writer draws our attention to here. And I think we should find this somewhat more positive. Today, if you hear his voice, says the writer, do not harden your hearts. Second, because if you don't harden your hearts, God's rest is still open. Now we get this in chapter four. Now when we had the opening of chapter four read to us earlier, I don't know if you, like me, found the argument a little hard to follow. Sometimes it's as if the writer of Hebrews is always sort of stumbling over himself to get the argument out. But I think it goes something like this. To begin with here, we get some further reminders that the people under Moses heard a promise, but verse 2 did not combine it with faith. They didn't believe it. So God closed off the opportunity to them. They shall never enter my rest, he declared. In short, they heard the good news, the gospel, if you like, of rest with God. But verse 6, they did not go in because of their disobedience. It's another tragic reminder. But while the opportunity may have been shut off for them, the main point here is that for subsequent generations, it, it remains open. Indeed, we can say that the end goal of rest with God is built into the very fabric of creation. What a marvellous truth that is. 
We're reminded here in verse 4, on the seventh day God rested from his work. That was a, a marker right at the beginning of creation, signifying the end goal or purpose of creation, a wonderful, glorious state of rest, of, of harmony between God and those he had created in the place he had created. A wonderful state of blessing which every week the, the people of God were reminded of by celebrating the Sabbath also on the seventh day. And it's interesting, isn't it? That future opportunity was clearly still open in David's time. Remember, the promise to the generation under Moses was uh, specifically that they could, they, would enter, they could enter the promised land and there be at rest with God. But the thing is, eventually, under Joshua... They did enter. But the remarkable thing is that that God spoke these uh, words through Psalm 95 with with words penned by David several hundred years later than that. And uh, notice uh, those words are still warning the people that if they harden their hearts, they will not enter God's rest. So I hope you can see what's going on here. So as David says that, he must be talking about something else, a different kind of rest, a a greater rest, a future rest. That is still an open opportunity at the time of David. The writer spells it out, chapter 4, verse 9. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. It is still open so the second group of people down our imaginary passageway are the people of Israel who have entered the land and are now with David and this time by the door with the promise he is standing there this time he pleads with them he writes and he speaks to them Psalm 95 don't do what the people did at the time of the rebellion in the desert he says God's rest was closed off to them. But today, today, it's open for you. So don't harden your hearts to that opportunity. So then hear this exhortation as it echoes around all history and now wonderfully all around the world. Today, Today, the future opportunity to be with God in perfect harmony under his perfect blessing is open. Don't harden your hearts to it. Think about that when you wake up tomorrow. Today. Today, I need to respond with faith to what I've heard about the future. Think about it as long as it's called today. Including, of course, right now. So let's move to the third and final point in history the writer of Hebrews is picking out for us. Today. Therefore, under Jesus, today, let us make every effort to enter that rest. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. And verse 11. Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. 
You see, the exhortation that says echo through history also comes to us. But we have to say, to us, it comes louder, more strongly, and with greater urgency than ever before. And that's all because of the difference that Jesus makes. See, this word comes to us with a, with a volume turned right up to maximum because as we've already been told about in chapter one, God has spoken through one who is son. And the word is personally backed up by Jesus the son who, chapter two, tasted death for us and defeated it. An atonement, a propitiation for our sins, guaranteeing a safe passage. And what's more, although loud, it is spoken softly to us by one who has been through this very choice and is able to sympathize and help. So the third group of people down our imaginary passageway are the people Hebrews is written for. And we're part of this group. We're coming down that passageway. Some things are still the same as before. There are still two doors in front of us. There's still a promise on the first door that says, this way is hard, but at the end of it you'll find the true rest of God. But now it's not Moses or David who stand by that door. Instead, there is Jesus. Instead, the Son of God has gone through the door himself, taking on flesh and blood so that he can guarantee the way and help us through. And what's more, what's most amazing perhaps, is look closely and we can see that the promise on the door is written in his blood. So the call for us to be responsive to the word of God couldn't really be stronger than as it's put here. And I hope you can at least start to feel that for yourselves. And I, I hope that that feeling in the, in the end is, is an encouraging feeling rather than a discouraging feeling. Because I know that for some, this may not be immediately encouraging. The book of Hebrews can be a bit of a rough ride for anyone struggling with assurance. I think we all know that. All this talk of people being shut out from God's rest. It might well be something that worries you, makes you feel anxious. But if you do feel that, let me say this to you tonight. If you do feel that, actually be assured by that feeling. If it makes you feel worried or anxious, be assured by that. Be assured because that is the Holy Spirit at work. And he is already getting through to you. He is already breaking through the mask if you can feel something. You see, it's if you can't feel something that you need to worry. That's the, that's the big danger, isn't it? You should worry because even if the person sitting next to you now can't see your lack of response, God can. Uh, just take a look with me briefly at those famous words in 
chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. And see what they mean for yourselves, perhaps for the very first time. You see, as the word of God is spoken to us, it's like a sword cutting us open. As the writer says here, sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the hearts. It cuts us open and exposes us. Is there faith and trust in the promises spoken to us through Jesus? Is that what lies on your your heart? Well, if it is, then God sees it. Is there unbelief and disobedience? God sees it. And one day we shall stand before him to give an account for that response. Now, that's challenged me in many ways, and it certainly challenged me as I've been thinking about this over the last week, about my attitude sometimes when I listen to sermons and other kinds of Bible teaching. Because one of the things that we can work out from this passage is that whenever the Bible is read or taught or preached, that is God himself speaking to me. I wonder if you noticed chapter 3, verse 7, for example. Chapter 3, verse 7 The writer is preaching from Psalm 95 here. But he begins by saying this. He begins by saying, so as the Holy Spirit says. Not as I preach to you from Psalm 95. Not as was once said. But as the Holy Spirit says. That's now. Today. God himself. The word of God in the Bible is living and active, remember. So being unresponsive to a sermon, for example, is a symptom of just the kind of hard-heartedness the writer has been warning us against. Last week I heard about someone who times every sermon he hears. He times it. I'm kind of intrigued by that in a way because I'd quite like to know what he does with the information afterwards. But if that were the only thing someone took away from a sermon, that would be a a worry, would it not? Likewise, the person who spends the duration of the sermon reading the notice sheet. Or I think of uh, something that I sometimes slip into where to my shame I begin to start judging the sermon as if it were some kind of performance. There are thoughts going around my head. He was good today. He was bad today. He was funny today. He was dull today. He was clear today. He was muddled today. You see, I began this evening by talking about the mask we put on in front of one another, and especially when we gather as church like this, We think it protects us, this mask, but when we do things like judging a sermon like that, in our thoughts, perhaps we even say them out loud, the mask slips. It may well be that others around us get to see what we're really like. As we think them or say them, we ourselves get to see something of what we're really like. We get to see what, according to chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, is already laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must 
give accounts. So, hear the word of God one last time tonight. And uh, listen to this passage uh, re-preached in a slightly shorter form. Let's go back to the beginning, back to the beginning of chapter 3. Brothers and sisters, last week I was reminding you that God has spoken through one who is Son. He's spoken a word so personal and intimate that it is greater than anything before, whether from a prophet or even an angel. So we must pay closer attention to it, double attention, because this word is also a word of salvation, spoken and accomplished through one who is Son, spoken and accomplished through Jesus. And therefore, I said, and I say it again tonight, and uh, we're at chapter 3, verse 1. Fix your thoughts on Jesus, sent to deal with our sins. But let me now compare him to Moses. Moses, the great hero of God's people, right across history. And I want to say that Jesus has been just as faithful in God's household, but he is much more than that. Because he hasn't just been a servant in the household, he's been, he's been building it as the son, building us if we keep going. So let me say what God the Holy Spirit has been saying through the scriptures right across the ages and is saying right now, and we're at chapter 3 verse 7 here, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. And for goodness sake, brothers and sisters, let us help one another in this. Keep repeating this to one another so that your hearts are not rendered hard and unresponsive by unbelief or deceived by sin. Because we can be a part of what Christ is doing as if we keep going. As was just said, let me say it a second time. Now we're at 3.15. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Back then, on the journey from Egypt to the promised land, the people heard the promise. They heard, but they rebelled and died and the opportunity was closed off for them. Don't be like them. Because for us, the opportunity is still open. We've heard the gospel promise just like them. They didn't believe it and it was closed off. But if we believe it, the opportunity is still open. Think about it. It's an opportunity to be in perfect, enduring relationship with God. One that's been open to those who believe since the very creation of the world. It was open when David exhorted his people Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Which, remember, was long after they'd entered the promised land under Joshua. So then there's a much greater opportunity to be at rest with God. One that's still future and still open to us too. Let us, therefore, chapter 4, verse 11. 
unlike them, make every effort to enter that rest. Because we simply cannot ignore or escape the force of this exhortation that has echoed through the ages. You see, as the Holy Spirit calls you not to harden your hearts to the promise of God, your hearts are being exposed right now as if under the deepest and most penetrating surgery. And God is even now seeing either your belief or your unbelief. Everything is laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Verse 